Hello and welcome back. I'm Franny and you're listening to Into the World podcast where we talk about all things birth and motherhood. Each week I speak to a different parent about how their babies came into the world and how the journey unfolded. We share the good, the bad, the ugly and of course the funny bits. Because most of all, when things get tough, we all need a laugh. Happy listening. This podcast is kindly brought to you by Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers. Now that Briar Rose is here and I'm in the throes of new motherhood again, with three children and a high proportion of those kids in diapers, my love for the brand has only grown stronger. Rascal and Friends are premium in quality without the premium price tag. They're amazing for sensitive skin. For me and my family, it means that we go through less diapers, have fewer poo explosions, and the kids all look super cute in them. I haven't met a single person yet who's tried them and doesn't love them as much as I do, hence not switching back to other brands. They also do wipes now, which is even better news. They're 99% natural ingredients, they're fragrance-free, pH balanced, and they make the perfect combination for kids like mine who have sensitive skin. I dare you to go try them. If you live in Canada, get yourself down to Walmart, or if you're in the UK, you can find them in Tesco's. I promise you won't regret it. Um, There's just nothing better out there. And hopefully you can't hear the white noise and my newborn squeaking in the background. Either way, that's my life now. Happy listening. So for anybody listening you have had another baby I had a bunch of messages and every I had a few being like she had another baby yay <laughs> so um, that is why we're here mm-hmm. but also to sort of talk about how you coped with life after loss as well for anybody who's listening and hasn't listened to the original episode maybe we could just do a recap maybe if you want to do that to just sort of say where we're at now because when we spoke last time I think you was about 25 weeks Okay. Yeah, they're about, yeah. Yeah. So uh, how old is Grace now? Fifth of 2019. And so she'll be nine months next week, actually. Oh, wow. So yeah, so you've come a long way. It's been like nearly a year, I guess. My math isn't great with... Yeah, we spoke We spoke just before Margot's birthday, which is in mid-April. So I feel like we chatted in March. So yeah, almost yeah, exactly yeah. a year. Wow, that's that's actually insane because I feel like one, it was like last week, and two, we've both had we've both had another baby since we last spoke to you. Yeah, it feels um, like last week and fifteen years ago at the same time. Yeah, and <laughs> I was saying yesterday that like I feel like I know you. That yeah, this is as close as I've come to meeting you through the screen. So, um, so yeah, tell us tell us sort of what the last year has been how that's unfolded um, in brief terms before we get into um, Grace's birth. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like the last year has been that uh, the days are long, but the years are short. So I would say that pretty accurately sums up uh, how I feel the last year went. I would say like, you know, my pregnant more about this, but it was pretty, like it was a very healthy pregnancy. I had a totally normal have been very normal and healthy other than the stillbirth obviously outcome yeah and it went quickly but I also felt like it was definitely more intense than and we can talk more about like why and what that actually looks like sure. there 
but at the same time, it's been an amazing year. Like my son Liam turned five in November and I can't believe that I, that that has happened five years old and he um, started as well, isn't it? For, I think having your first kid, like five is such a big deal. It's like, yeah, you're halfway to 10 what the hell <laughs> yeah exactly like I I've never been that emotional about his birthday uh-huh birthday but I have to admit five felt big like yeah. I really I got emotional about this one and I mean postpartum hormones that like that's a real thing so I'm sure that was part of it <laughs> but 100%. I do agree like I'm like oh my gosh you're halfway to 10 which is halfway to 20 too many halfways for me too yeah. many too many zeros there 20 and So you went on to have Grace um, in the June and let's get into her pregnancy I guess to start with because you you was was having a high-risk pregnancy just based on previous experience versus how you was actually experiencing that pregnancy am I right? That's right. So the way it worked with me, one thing that people might be a little surprised to hear. So just again, for folks who haven't maybe listened to the previous story, the Cole's notes on my pregnancy with Margot, who was my second child uh, born in 2018, is she actually died as a result of a cord accident or what's deemed a cord accident um, uh, when she was 40 weeks and five days old. So I was more than full term. Um, and actually the thing... what a cord accident is. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, So in my case, what happened is I actually developed something called amniotic bands. Um, And this is like as the body prepares for labor, the um, sac that surrounds the baby starts to sort of break apart. That's what happens, obviously, when you're walking. That's my layman's version of it. Um, So what happened in our case was that that sac started to break. Um, And some of the fibrous tissue that actually makes up the inside of the sac got tangled around her umbilical cord, um, actually badly enough that it choked the supply right off to the baby. And so that's how we lost Margot. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like I didn't 100% know that or maybe not as as in-depth from our previous conversation. Um, Yeah. But did it feel um, in any way helpful to, like, know that? Oh. Um, I guess. Totally. Yeah, maybe we didn't talk about it. Uh, so yeah, with Margo... Like maybe you didn't know. Like, I don't feel like it's a surprise, but I don't remember talking about it. So but with Margo, I... I very, I remember very clearly, actually, the day that the doctor called me, because um, it's a what's it called an autopsy on the placenta and the umbilical cord when you have a stillbirth it's optional to do a full autopsy on the baby that's sort of your choice but they will always look at the placenta and umbilical cord so we actually found out relatively quickly because that autopsy is much quicker um, than the full autopsy that they'll do on the baby so I remember the doctor called me and I was actually in the car I had been into my office and she's like, do you want to talk? I can call you back. I was like, we're going to talk now. Like I'm pulling over. There's no, like, we're going to play phone tag for two days. I need to hear what you that would say. Be, that would be like so torturous. Exactly. So I remember I pulled over on the side of the road, like just down the street from my office. And, um, and yeah, she proceeded to tell me that, that, that autopsy had revealed sort of that, you know, the um, pathologist was like, I actually read all of this later. And they said, like, you know, it's without a doubt the cause of death. People who experience stillbirth don't actually get answers like that. Um, A lot of people don't do they, whether it's miscarriage, stillbirth, or or even other situations. Um, I know from talking to a lot of people, a lot of people are seeking, seeking that closure almost. And I don't, 
Um, like I had, I have a friend who'd been in a similar situation, and I know that she really wanted an answer. But ultimately, even if you don't get an answer, it's like never the mother's fault. But I feel like without closure, you you have more opportunity to blame yourself as well. Like you could never have changed the outcome of that, or like what your body is doing harmlessly that's causing it. You know, a hundred percent. I remember when my, like, obviously I called my husband right after to, to chat with him and share what the doctor had shared with me. And I remember him coming home that night and I said to him, I was like, it's so weird, Michael, but I have this overwhelming sense of relief. Like you wouldn't think that getting, you know, news like that, that's like obviously horrible, like not something you ever want to have to experience in your life, but I actually felt like this weight had been lifted off of me after that conversation. Cause like you said, and I think we did talk about this before and if not, um, forgive me, but like for the first six weeks or so after she died, like the guilt was pretty heavy, like pretty, pretty heavy. And I remember going to, um, the support group at Mount Sinai, like the, uh, the late loss support group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember sharing that and like, it was the, everyone around the room was just nodding. Like it's yes. such a common feeling. I don't know. I don't know how you experienced it. It was that. different for me because I felt a lot of guilt because I had a choice to make. So nothing mm-hmm. was out of my hands. I like knew too much and you're very much like not even led down a path. It's like, you have to go home and decide. So that was really hard. And I think the hardest part for me was um, like you always, when you take a step out of it and you're like daydreaming, you're like, oh, but maybe I'm going to be that one person whose kid can survive this and it's going to be a miracle and whatever. And like all the different eventualities play into your subconscious where you like want essentially to continue. Yeah. So I found that guilt, that really overbearing for like, years really and if I think about it too much it can come back but I think I experienced it in the way that when he was born and the diagnosis was confirmed and um the doctor that we had who's absolutely incredible Dr Chitia he just walked into the room saw him and he was like yep 100% has that and then he yeah. came in and he pointed out all the features and even before we had the autopsy that um did confirm it um he was like, he'd just come in and he pointed to each thing. And as he pointed it out, it was things that I had been looking at what looked like a perfectly formed baby. But when he pointed everything out, I was like, oh, yeah. He said, right. they're, they're all the symptoms. And for us, it was like lack of um, skull bones. So I'd like never thought to like poke him in the head. Of course and, not. Yeah. And it was like... Why would you? Was, yeah, exactly. It was like a sponge. He had like breaks, which were little white spots on his arms. Um, yeah, anyway, all these different symptoms, and he said, there's no possible way that this baby can live with this condition. So I felt that release in that moment, where I was like, well, I 100% made the right decision for us, because this isn't, there's no miracle here, here has a case. Yeah, and And in my case, like, it was important knowing that, just sort of like, as it pertains to 
It was actually important knowing that because what happened in my case, like I remember we went and visited, um, there's this amazing physician and like, I'm going to share his name on here because he's just so brilliant. His name's John Kingdom. He works at Sinai. He's like one of the preeminent um, kind of clinicians in the area of umbilical cord and placental issues in pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, Matt with him, he does stillborn counterwords to kind of review your case and answer any questions you have, talk about future um, uh, uh, pregnancies, if that's where your head's at. And he was so lovely. He basically said to us like, guys, you had a better chance of winning the lottery twice this happening. Um, and he's like, so then if we think about it happening again, he's like, the odds get even, you know, slimmer. Um, and that was very reassuring. So that was in, we saw him in July of 2018, and I think it was after that meeting that we sort of said like, okay, well, my husband was until we had some of those conversations. Cause he's like, well, I want to make sure that like, if we have another baby that like, we sort of have an understanding of, you know, what type of care we would need to get that this was in fact, like a core. I think it was after both of us sort of felt like, okay, maybe we can, we can do this again. Yeah. It's interesting you say that actually, cause Dr. Chitiat, who I name because I think he's so incredible, um, and I've actually talked to another mum on here that's been in his care, and um, he said a similar thing to us. We, he said we won the lottery in good ways and bad ways twice because it was very unlikely for this to happen when we found out that it wasn't genetic. And uh. then secondly, we also, the chances of him being born alive were a similar odds, but because we're me and my husband obviously aren't Canadian, it meant that we got all the testing free because mm-hmm. we didn't have OHIP. And if your child is born in the country, they become Canadian as where if they're born still mm-hmm. in the country and you don't have yeah. OHIP, they take yeah. your nationality. So those two things. Interesting. Uh, he said were like so unlikely to coincide in the same situation. Um, to the point where I actually rang someone after the fact um, when we'd had our care and he couldn't believe that he was born alive. And he was like, are you sure? I was like, I'm 100% sure. So, yeah. the Are you sure? I'm like, I'm yeah, like, I was like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, sure. yeah and it, yeah, it was just like so weird that that like worked. That worked well, I don't want to say in our favour because that just sounds a bit cold. But it really helped us, I guess. But also he then said, and you've got the same chance again of it happening. He was like, you better actually try and win the lottery because that's yeah. more likely. Yeah, um, but it was exactly. really reassuring to like move forward and just kind of start again, I guess, without worrying about how your past is going to affect your future. Yeah, totally. At least from a, um, a medical perspective, like I think, yeah, yeah, you know, right. you know exactly what I mean. Like from a yeah. medical perspective, so it's like I feel like you know, one of the reflections that I have about pregnancy after loss is it's very much sort of a mental game. Oh yeah your head and my gosh, you've done it three times, bless you. <laughs> but like, I definitely think there's a rational side of your mind that goes to those facts and those figures and what the clinicians are telling you. And then there's the irrational or emotional side of your brain that is a lot, like I think I had to do a lot more work yeah. with that part of that part of my kind of psyche through this pregnancy, just to be able to manage some of the anxiety that comes along, I think, with pregnancy after you've lost a baby. Yeah, and I think as well, like, not just the irrational side of your brain, but the other people you connect with where you're like, but this happened to my friend who, you know, like, 
all of the other people you hear of where you kind of run with their stories in your head on top of your irrational brain on top of like statistics or whatever I found that quite hard where I was like but I know that that isn't possible but that did happen to such and such I know and like they're a real person and it really happens so yeah I found that hard um while we're talking about pregnancy as well I wondered if you found this because I certainly found it with my pregnancy with Cub where I knew a lot of people that were pregnant at the same time all of which were my friends yeah. And I was like, ah, statistically, one of us is going to have something bad go wrong because there's like seven of us pregnant and it's one in four. And oh, I have I really bad anxiety about other people. Yep. And I, like, have, <laughs> I find I have to, um, I think like there are moments, like for example, I was out for dinner um, with a few friends, one of whom's expecting and sort of everyone else at the table has one or two kids. And they were just like, you know, she's a first time mom. So she was asking questions like, oh, did you guys this? Did you not eat that? Did you not eat? And they're like, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. Like, oh, yeah, that's just. And all I can think in my head is like, no, I know from that. And oh, I know someone who actually had that. And I'm just and I just have to like lock my lips closed in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, because like, I don't want to ever be the person who's going to like ruin that. Like, I remember my first pregnancy with Lily, and you know, you just you assume the outcome is going to be fantastic because like why wouldn't it be and I never want to like take that away from people but it's That's always like a very a moment good point. yeah I have but to you don't want to rob them of that and also like yeah. the fear can get the better of you when actually fear is just um almost irrelevant unless you need it if that makes sense I don't know if I'm explaining myself but no, if you're 100%. fearing something and it never happens what a waste of energy it was I know totally. it's crazy to say that. No, no, and like <laughs> I, someone actually messaged me today asking if my if Briar had colic, and I was thinking, no, she doesn't. But I did fear that. But then she had her, her previous child had colic, and I was thinking, oh, what a, what a waste would it be if they don't have it, and you're sat there and meant to be enjoying the last moments of your pregnancy but it's so easy to say that to someone else I was like oh don't let the fear get the better of you but I was doing that like, yeah. two months ago so yeah but, but well, and I think yeah. I um I think you asked me just sort of one of the prep questions you asked me to think a bit about what were some of the things people did while I was pregnant that were helpful right yeah and just on the point of fear, I remember very clearly having this conversation with um, my boss who just like is such a lovely, lovely human being. Um, and it, it was early kind of days. Like I probably was maybe, you know, 16 weeks along. How many weeks? Maybe like 14, 16. Like enough that I'd start to tell, tell people, but certainly like I know at work this time around, I didn't tell the majority until I was about 24 weeks along. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tried to kind of, it's fun being like facilitating a, um, a meeting for like my entire department, which is, you know, almost 75 people. And like, I was standing in front of the room and like, it was obvious, but I hadn't said <laughs> anything. And it was just so, it was, it was a bit awkward. But I remember this time um, talking to another friend who also experienced loss. She's like, she's like, honestly, don't tell people if you don't want to, like you decide when you want to tell, like it can be awkward. You can be nine months pregnant and just don't say anything. If that's what makes <laughs> you feel good, like you get to do whatever you want. This well, it's time. not about them. It's always about you, but it's, we, I think as human beings, we do things to make other people feel comfortable way too much. 
a hundred percent agree. So I remember I was in this conversation with my boss and um, I was like, well, you know, like if that we have the baby or, you know, if everything's okay. And she just sort of looked at me and she's like, you know, in my mind, there's only one outcome that I'm planning for. And that's like a beautiful, healthy baby. So I'm putting all my energy into that. And it's the only one I really want to talk about. And like, she wasn't to not sort of like validate or acknowledge my feelings, but I left the conversation thinking like, well, why am I putting energy into that? Also, like, like to put energy into the thing you don't want is almost counterproductive. I know that we do it as like a coping mechanism, but yeah, when I read <clears throat> when I read that, I was like, that's so true. Like, why not put the energy into what you want? Because what's going to happen is going to happen anyway. Exactly. Like, it's funny. I I'm like a big uh, Brene Brown person. I don't know if you listen. Oh, yeah, like, I'm obsessed. Like, just <laughs> obsessed with her. Totally obsessed yeah. with her. Um, and she talks, I remember actually, I listened to her when, like right after Margot passed away. I remember that yeah. summer, I listened to like a lot of stuff that I found very healing and like made me feel less lonely. Um, like my friend Emily, who I think you know Emily too, she passed yeah. along the Terrible Thanks for Asking podcast, which I just loved. Oh, um, I have to listen and then, to that then. Oh, it's, oh, Franny, it's so good. Like, job of talking about really hard stuff but making it funny like appropriately funny you know like bringing right. that kind of humor into grief that helps you cope if that's your thing like I think everyone oh no I, I love a bit of humor and grief um after you finish with someone else that I really like yeah carry on though Anyway, I remember listening to Brene Brown talk with Oprah on like the I think it's Super Soul uh sessions yeah, I think I've listened to this one and I remember her talking about like so many people use fear as a mechanism like and prepare ourselves for a situation in case it happens so that like if you do end up in that bad place you've already kind of mentally prepared yourself for it and she's like what a waste like why not live instead in this joyful happy place where you can be vulnerable to the potential to have you know these wonderful things happen um and it just really stuck with me and I remember thinking about it a lot when I was pregnant with Grace to say like I can't I can't actually prepare myself for the potential of terrible hap. Like, even if you tried, you'd never be prepared for that, that outcome ever. You wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't be any better for it, but you've kind of, um, what I'm taking from what you're saying is you've kind of done yourself in for the joy. You've got yeah. rid of the joy just to prepare for the bad thing that you aren't actually prepared for. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think it's something, you know, like I say it now, like, oh, you know, it was, it was easy. It wasn't like, it's, it's like anything else. It takes sort of like active practice and active, you know, work in terms of, of thinking about it. And, but I, I just find like, oh, of course, Gracie's waking up. I just find like the alternative is not something that I really want to do. Yeah. yeah. No, I am. Um, by the way, do whatever you need to do if you need to grab her or whatever. Like, this is I will. I'll give her. I'll give her a second. See what she does. Yeah, there's. I I forget the woman's name that I follow. That if I'm right, she was widowed and lost um, a pregnancy at a very similar time. And yeah, she, it was. That's Nora. It's Nora yeah, McIntyre. Yeah. she's the host of Terrible Things for Ask, Asking. Oh, okay. Well, that makes total sense then. Okay, but have you seen her? I think it's her TED talk. Yeah, where she, says, where she says about I, I watch it so much because one she's funny and two um, I'm approaching Phoenix's fifth birthday and mm -hmm. I do feel this massive pressure of like 
get over it. But I always remind myself of what she says, where it's like, I wouldn't go to a fifth birthday party and be like, oh, are we doing this again? Like, this is a bit boring. We've done four of them already. <laughs> you wouldn't go to a 40th birthday. Stop celebrating them. Like, yeah, your totally. kids are great, but like, whatever. They've had a birthday. Um, yeah. And that really spoke to me because no one would ever do that. <laughs> no one would and ever do that, ever. I feel like there's this, like, I don't know if it's an unspoken thing or if it's people's uncomfortableness or if I put it on myself, but I definitely feel it there about like the more that years go on that like you kind of just got to get on with it. Um, and I am getting on with it. Obviously anyone in the situation is getting on with it yourself included, but yeah, I just love her way of thinking and putting it to normal life when people continue living. Totally. Um, and I think it's a combination. Like, I think one, you know, it is really hard for people to really show up in grief. And like, I don't begrudge people that it's hard. Like it yeah. is just hard. Like that's a human reality. Um, and I think well, I don't know if you find this, but I, I always think um, I'm always having been through something that's, you know, similar to yours, but not exactly the same but you might still find someone who doesn't feel the same way, way as you in terms of how they grieve, where I still feel, having experienced it, that I don't always know how to act around someone else. Yeah, I agree. I just, you know, I think, like, it's hard to predict how people are going to respond when you show up that honestly, I think. Um, and I find it's a big judgment call. Like, there's moments where I'm like, no, I'm going to tuck that away. And, like, you know, the cashier at Target, when she asks me how many kids I have, doesn't necessarily need to know my full story. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, like, I think when I have people who are going to be in my way, like, I want them to know about my family, even if the dynamic isn't necessarily, you know, the easiest one to discuss or to talk about or if people aren't sure what to do with it I also have like come to learn like that's okay it's I don't know what to do with it sometimes either like yeah. let's not know what to do with it together like it's not the end of the world yeah and I think you can change your mind too because sometimes I, I I sort of think of it now and somebody else pointed this out to me or I think of the book I read but if I'm going to see the person on a long-term basis, I try and get it out of the way sooner rather than later, but a cashier somewhere, unless it's a day where I'm like, no, I have to tell them because it's really going to get to me if I don't. Like, yeah, maybe yeah I've done that too. Or something. Totally. Um, then I kind of like make that sort of generalized decision um, because it, it makes it easier in the short term. But yeah, I've also changed my mind, but I think, 100%. It's important to remember it's how it makes you feel and not really them. Yeah, and, and I think that that's something... Totally, and I think, like, as people pleasers, which, like, most of humanity is, right, um, it's a survival mechanism. That's our... my At least to speak for everyone um but for me i definitely am and so that's something i've had to learn how to like find my comfort zone with is being able to say you know this is going to make you uncomfortable but you know that that's actually okay because living comfortably all the time is not actually real no and my experience is most of the time people have a grief story like, it might not be my grief story. Um, and I don't like, you know, people often be like, well, you know, like, it's not as bad as what you went through. I'm like, let's not play the game of, like, whose grief is worse. Because, like, 
grief is grief. And if it's meaningful to you, it's meaningful to you. You know, like I appreciate the tragedy of infant loss because it is, it is a particularly tragic thing to happen. But you know, the feelings that I feel, I actually find comfort in talking to other people who have those feelings. It, It makes me feel less lonely and less isolated. Not that people are in some way trying to diminish um, my grief or my story by sharing in it with me. Um, and I think that's important to say because I think some people, or at least if anyone's listening, like just know that, that, you know, I mean, I've said before, if you talk to a hundred people, everyone's going to tell you something different is comforting to them in their grief. And some people would prefer to be alone in it. That's the way that they find the most comfort. But, you know, I would encourage people like, don't be afraid to share because you never know if what you're feeling is going to, um, you know, be meaningful or help someone. Like we have all these conversations about mental health all the time now. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I always say to people, like, if you ask me for my one piece of advice, it's like, listen and like, really listen, like, don't try to fix it for them. Don't try to tell them, you know, everything happens for a reason. Maybe they don't feel that way. Even if you do, um, like, just listen to them, hear them, let them feel seen, let them feel heard. And that to me is just one of the most powerful things I think we can do as human beings is, is really sit with people in sadness in the same way we like to sit with people in happiness and joy. Yeah, and no, I think that's a really good point about, and letting them decide how they grieve and then like meeting them, meeting them there, I think is important. Yeah. Or even just giving the, the opportunity to say, yeah, actually, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and then, and being like, awesome. If you change yeah. your mind, reach out. Yeah, like, exactly. don't be don't be offended. That's usually not about you. It's usually about the person. Like, yeah. in my experience, it, it's not because you said the wrong thing or you did the wrong thing. It's just like I'm having a day where I need to be alone. Yeah, exactly. And it's much easier to say it when someone's given you an inroad. Um, I was about to say something then, and it's just lost me. Um, hmm, maybe I'll come back to it. Um, so I feel like we've talked a lot about um, sort of how you dealt with the pregnancy, but did you have any high points among that? Because not to say that they were low points, but your kind of ways of coping. Um, yeah. And then we'll sort of go on to more about um, Grace's labour. Um, I think I was thinking about the, the high points a little bit last night because I, uh, I was struggling to find them a little bit, even though that sounds silly, because like I really did try to enjoy being pregnant and not get totally kind of consumed by the anxiety. I guess one maybe story to share on the topic of high points was so um, my husband and I had a good debate this time around whether or not we would find out the gender of the baby, because for okay. uh, Marco and for Liam, we did. And I started out pretty adamant that I didn't want to know um, that like we wouldn't find out this time, you know, we'd find out when ultimately she was born. And um, it was funny right before my anatomy scan, like around 22 weeks, um, I was just chatting with my husband and like, I think I've shared this before. Like my husband is a very soft spoken man. He's not like me in terms of like, opinionated and loud he's he's much sort of more quiet more soft-spoken um so when he really chimes in on a topic I tend to pay attention because it means like you know he's really given some thought and there's usually good stuff when uh when he does open up 
And he said to me, he's like, listen, I'm totally going to support whatever we decide in terms of finding out or not finding out. He's like, but I just want to make sure that, you know, he's like, you know, we found out with the other kids and it really allowed us to kind of enjoy preparing for their birth. He's like, I just want to make sure that this isn't a, a coping mechanism where we're trying not to bond with this baby or we're trying to keep a distance from, from this pregnancy by not finding out the gender. And he's like, so I just want us to think a bit about that. Um, and I thought a bit about it and he was right. Like it was a hundred percent detached, um, maybe protecting myself like a little bit. And so I remember ultimately like talking with him again and saying like, you know what? I think I do want to know, like, and I do want to find out, like, I think it's nice. You've raised a good point in terms of like, let's try to be consistent and not that you have to, but like, I think in this case, it made sense for us to to kind of do what we'd done previously. And I remember being then in that scan with him and the tech asking us if we wanted to know the baby's gender. Um, and I was convinced in my head it was boy. Again, I think a coping mechanism, but like convinced it was boy. And she said to us, oh, I think you're having a girl. And I was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> that, can't, that can't be correct can you check again and, and then I just remember she left the room after she finished up and like I had a little cry but it was one of those sort of like happy cries where it was you know just sort of the excitement of finding out that we were having another daughter the sort of overwhelming emotion that came along with that too and it ended up being like actually a really nice little moment for Michael and I um and I'm glad that we did it because it, I think, allowed me to mentally prepare a bit more for having a second daughter. Yeah. Um, and just thinking a bit about what all that means. Yeah. I had a similar yeah. experience with Bodhi because <laughs> I've always thought of having girls until I actually had a girl and I thought of having a boy. <laughs> of course. My husband thinks it's hilarious that, like, mother's intuition where I'm like, oh, I just think, just know. And he's like, you're always wrong. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> Yeah, he's always, like, texting me, being like, how's your mother's intuition going? <laughs> You're like, um, spot yeah, on today. And with Bodhi, I, I didn't actually tell anyone. They told me, I had an early scan, and they told me he was um, a boy, and I was like, well, it, there's still a percentage that they're wrong, so they're probably wrong, and I'm right, because I'm just so sure, and obviously I wasn't. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, I think it's just quite funny that, yeah, but I think you do it to you do it to cope, um, but um, unconsciously. Like I think it's a, it was an unconscious sort of like coping yeah. thing that was happening in my body. Coping back to the Brené Brown thing we, we, we was talking about earlier, but it would be a fear thing where you're like, I'm gonna prepare for the worst case so that, yeah. and yeah, you're doing yourself out of the right. situation that you would normally have picked. Because if Mar, if you just had a third child and Margot had um everything had been fine with Margot then you would have done the same because why wouldn't you do this uh, all three kids a hundred percent and like my husband and I are planners like it's the reason we found out <laughs> in the other two pregnancies it's just like a very practical and also people who know me will appreciate like if there's information that I can have access to like I will want that information it's just <laughs> my personality yeah I'm more the curious kind like curiosity would kill me like someone gave me that envelope and be like oh find out when you oh. like I'd be like 
burning well, my hand. <laughs> well, and the thing was we had, cause we had the genetics like screen done at uh, eight weeks of, or 11 weeks, um, obviously with Grace. And like we, we clicked the box to say like, yeah, we want to know. And then when the nurse had called me to tell me everything was fine, she said, I do know the gender. Do you want to know? And I said, not right now. And so I remember like going into the office and on her file, she like taped a little post-it note, like over top of that part of the report does not want to know like just to be super sure I just thought that was so kind and respectful of her too oh, that, yeah. like, I'm she sure took that... the care to be like I'm gonna tape a little post-it on top of that info so that they don't inadvertently see it or someone doesn't yeah. inadvertently tell them just because it's in their file and assume that they know it was anyway well, I also, had um, also I think um how many people has that happened to where they've found out oh, so many. Many, I'm sure so many but yeah, so that we don't get interrupted by crying, yeah. well, from not us, from the babies I'm talking. <laughs> um, um, we'll see, we'll see, maybe a bit of both. Both, yeah. I had the most questions for you about <laughs> asking if and how you told Liam. I mean, I, I think everybody assumed that you did, but like how? How? It's a very good question. So it's interesting, actually, like when, after Margot was born, we saw the social worker in the hospital mm-hmm. and they asked a bunch of questions, like a lot of questions that you have at home and one of the other things they asked was like do you have any other children and we said yes and so it was actually a gentleman really nice guy he said do you have any questions about talking with your son about what's happened and we asked like what his advice was and he gave us really good advice that I think I'll just share in case like um I know it's advice I've shared with other people who have had to talk to their children about like grandparents passing away or other loved ones uh, And he said to us um, that with kids, it's best to be very honest and very direct and not to use any like euphemisms. So don't see lost the baby because in kids' minds, they'll be like, oh, okay, can we go back to the hospital and find the baby if it's lost, right? Maybe the police know where the baby is. Like brains are quite literal. So he said to us, you know, handle it however you're most comfortable, but the research and the literature would show that for children, um, being direct is usually the best thing. Mm-hmm. So when, um, I'm not sure why we didn't talk to him that afternoon. Cause we got home. I think it's just cause like I went to straight to bed, but like the next morning after everyone had gone, when he woke up, he came in our bedroom and like, he always kind of jumped and jumps in bed with us and he was climbing on me. And like, obviously when I was pregnant, I'd been saying to him like, Oh, don't climb on the baby. And he kind of like kicked my tummy accidentally. And he said, Oh, sorry, baby. And I said to him, I said, Liam, actually something really sad has happened and the baby's not um, alive anymore. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, unfortunately, buddy, the baby died. And like, he had the most instinctive like sad reaction it was the hardest thing that I've probably ever had to do um was explain that to him it was like he knew like he just instinctively started crying like and he was wailing like it wasn't a you know they have different cries like a little whining cry like he just had this totally instinctive guttural reaction where he just started to uh, cry and sob so sadly um and he did to witness yeah it was it was awful like second to finding out that we'd lost her I think that was probably the next hardest moment if the whole experience um but find that it kind of like 
made you realize that yeah if he thinks it's really sad it is really sad yeah i, know. I mean obviously it's really sad that's like a stupid thing to say in some respects but like it's almost no, no, i understand it drove home how this. it really drove home how real it was um and to me it was a very like final moment in the experience if that makes sense and then he was so sad and I said to him um I said you know what buddy though like she wanted me she brought up because we'd bought like the new brother gift for him right um and so I said like but you know what honey even though she wasn't because he did ask me why did she die and I said well she wasn't strong enough to live outside of mommy's tummy and so um um when she was born she 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 had died is what I said to him like because I was trying to follow the advice and like be concrete and I said but you know what she sent home a present for you because she said she still loves that you're her big brother and she really wants you to always remember how much she loves you and so I gave her him sorry I gave him the gift and like he's super into Ghostbusters and so we bought him like two little um what do you call them? Hot Wheels size Ecto one and Ecto two, like the two Ghostbuster yeah. cars. Uh, relative, and, like it was hilarious. Like just to remind you of how, like in the moment, children are. It was like the second he got the present, he's like amazing, and like moved on. Like just oh yeah, I feel on. like they can go like this though, can't they? Like totally. totally. And the other thing that's been interesting, just like related to that question, I would say, and they, the social worker kind of, um, and the social worker that I saw in group later, um, sort of brought this to my attention before it happened. And I was glad that they did. And again, like maybe just for other people who's, you know, they're dealing with grief is they, they said, be prepared that also like, as he gets older and has better understanding of what death means, you may come back to these conversations and these questions. Cause like his ability to grasp life and death is going to mature as he matures and it's been very true like we've had several conversations about it since then um and like I always tell him like yep you have two sisters Gracie who lives with us and then Margo who lives in our hearts and like one night when I was pregnant with Grace actually he just out of nowhere said to me hey mommy do you think that we could talk to the baby in your tummy and then talk to the baby in our hearts and I was like yeah honey we can do that um aren't kids so like lovely in the way they remind you of things in an innocent way like that's so that's so sweet but like an adult would never say that or maybe they would but less on their mind they would just like tuck it away Hmm. um and then maybe just like one last little story on this topic so when grace was born liam stayed home with my mom and dad at our place and um on the Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday when my my mom picked him up from school and like obviously I'd been gone overnight and he knew we were having the baby, so my mom picked him up from daycare and was like, "Exciting news! Like you have a sister and her name is Grace." And like all the kids in the class were like, "Yay!" Right? And then my mom said they got in the car and she said he was really quiet, and she said, "Is everything okay, buddy?" And he said, "When do I get to see my mom?" And my mom answered and said, like, oh, we're going to go. We're going to eat some dinner, and then we'll go visit everyone at the hospital. And he said, will I get to see the baby, too? And my mom said, yep, you'll get to see the baby, too. And he said, this baby didn't die. <laughs> and my mom said, she's like, I choked back tears. and was like, no, no. She's she's great. She's very healthy. She's excited to meet you, um, whatever. And then my mom said he was quiet again. And I was, but he said, 
you oh, know I'm, Gaga. Sorry, he was quiet again, and then what? Sorry. Sorry, he was just as they were pulling into the driveway at home, he turned to my mom, who he calls Gaga, and he said, you know what, Gaga, I really thought that this baby was going to die, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, my poor mom. But it was, like, a good realization for me of, like, don't forget how much they understand and, like, how much they can also internalize this, the feelings that they're having as well. So, like... His own, like, journey with, like, baby <laughs> loss anxiety. Just Totally. In- respect wow and how old was he at that point uh four and a half wow and Bodhi isn't even four yet and um this is the first pregnancy I've had where well one he was around and two like coherent enough and old enough to really pay attention when I had cub he'd like pat my belly and be like baby but that was like literally it yeah um and this time we had, we had, he'd wanted to pick a name out of the ones we gave him. And um, yeah, he was very much involved. And I remember saying to Tim, like the week before I gave birth, I said, can you ever imagine having to explain to him? Cause he knows on such a deep level now what's going on. And he's such like a sweet natured, like sensitive kid that I was like, I don't, I think that would break my heart beyond anything else. And I can, oh see from like you talking that that's obviously like a real reality for people it was um and it was a big debate point between not that we disagreed more just like that we were really thoughtful about it between my husband and I before we decided to get pregnant again was we um we felt very strongly that we needed to be emotionally ready um for it so that it didn't in any way take away from like Liam and supporting Liam like we just wanted to make sure that we were you know strong enough emotionally to be able to grapple with all of the feelings and stress and anxiety that that was going to take while not having it in any way detract from Liam's you know life. support system and his yeah. life and all of that stuff so yeah, it's it a was, consideration and not something I've had to um it's not been a part of my journey for sure. I mean, we're now in the realms of like, at some point we will tell him, but like when and how. And you know, like, it's funny because um, it's a different uh, um, conversation, but. Yeah, I have a friend who, um, I won't share like too, too much. Cause like, I don't, you know, not my story to tell, but um, essentially uh, before they had their family that they have now, they lost um, a child uh, again, like towards the end. And they waited actually a while. Like they waited till the kids were, I think seven or eight um, to sort of explain to them uh, like a bit more complexity because there was also surrogacy involved. So like, you know, I get that. Had even more of a Yeah, like they did more layers. Yeah, so they waited a bit longer, but like I remember I talked to her uh shortly after she'd had that conversation she's like you know you think like seven eight years later you'd be able to talk about it she's like but it was still like the hardest conversation I've ever had uh with kids yeah I've had see I've had like moments where I've said stuff to Bodhi but I know that he has absolutely no idea what I'm talking about and we did debate it last year because it's like around this time of year and again I just had a baby it's a theme in your life. Yeah, assume a pattern here. Um, <laughs> it's an easy time to maybe say something, but I remember Tim saying he's two, or yeah, he would have been two in a bit. And he was like, I don't know that I want to talk to him about infant mortality. 
And when yeah, it's like, like, like you actually about it. around not knowing about it for a bit longer, and I thought, actually, you're right, because part of my reason for wanting to tell him at that point was like, oh, and he'll not know any different, and we'll always be able to keep um, his brother as part of our family. But then I was like, I'm doing that because I'm desperate to keep him part of his family and our family, and I don't know in our context at that moment if it was the right thing to do. And I think it also speaks to the fact that couples do differ on all of these things. 100%. Very different in how we manage the situation. Um, but obviously at some point we will tell him, and there's so much stuff in our house one day, is going to be like, what's this? What's that? Or exactly. he's asking about my tattoo all the time. Well, and, you know, to the earlier comment, like, I think even if you did, like, even when you do tell them, like, it's something you'll have to revisit because, like, as they get older and have a deeper understanding of all kinds of things, like, you know, they'll have questions, right? And, like, I even think about the fact that, like, you know, at some point, the kids also need to know because it's important for their own, like, reproductive journey should they choose to do that downstream, right? That they yeah. have a sense of, like, their full family history and health. Like, I'm like, at some point, I'm going to probably need to explain in more detail, like, what that really means yeah what it really means and like fortunately in their case like doesn't actually mean much from a you know risk perspective right yeah but you know it's still something that we yeah and like even with um grace the fact that she is female and she will probably go and have her own children if that's what she wants for her life yeah she will probably want to talk to you about that anyway from like um totally a point of view you know I did well, in my brain I try to keep it from yeah I try to keep my brain from going here but I'm also like I am going to be the biggest nervous wreck when that stage of their life comes like I'm not sure how I'll cope but like anyway I'm getting way ahead of myself like yeah I'm not, like let's get through the first birthday um yeah, exactly. but like, it crosses my mind every so often like you know freaking oh, moms no. and mother-in-laws are anxious enough yeah I think that's what um you're that's just a mother's brain though isn't it we play out all these eventualities that may never happen mm-hmm. um, or not even may never happen but like may not even be an issue by the time they happen I don't know I um, I understand what you're saying for you. um yeah yeah I think I think it's a big it's, it's again a, like a personal thing on how people deal with it I think it's just kind of sometimes quite inspiring to see how different families present it so you have some ideas on what you think would work for you because yeah I don't know what we're gonna do or like how we'll do it we'll definitely do something and there's no way back now like I have this podcast so he's gonna listen to that I write about his brother any which way then he got to google my name one day and he'll find out yeah. so there's no hiding it it's just yeah I think or like I keep um I keep Margot's hand and footprint like I have them for all of the kids they did them at the hospital for Margot, and I have it like framed um, beside our bed mm-hmm. and I'm like you know like one day they'll see that and have questions about it and like obviously I'll have to talk with Grace about it when when the right moment comes along but like you know it's um I it's think a it's a point yeah. actually because you've had a child before and after so mm-hmm. you're having to like do it twice and you might even learn from one experience to you know, by the time she's, she's like, let's say three, where you can have an actual conversation. Yeah. Um, or if I'm talking with Liam or if Liam brings it up, like, that's the other weird thing when you have kids and like, they sort of understand these things is like, like Liam will bring it up. I don't know if I told you last time I was on the podcast, but there was this moment, maybe a month after we lost Margot and I was at the park 
and there was a woman there who was with her two kids they were a bit older and they kept calling liam like a baby like they're like no you can't do that because you're a baby and i was like getting a bit annoyed because i was like stop calling him a baby but anyway yeah um, and he turned to them and he said no i'm not a baby my baby died she was in my mommy's tummy and then she died and like the mom's face was like oh he was so devastated and like she started crying talking to me i'm like it's okay like thank you so much for your compassion but like good we don't need to get into this at the park like let's (laughs) run with our day but like I I share it more just to say like you never know what they're gonna say or like when it'll come up in their little minds or brains and And they have a really good memory I'm really shocked daily on when Bodhi says remember yesterday because everything's yesterday in our house at the moment you know only yeah. has to be slightly past 10 there's there's right now and then there's yesterday and then that's yeah. it and he'll be like remember yesterday when I weed on the floor at, at like such and such's house and I'm like that was like six months ago you <laughs> remember that from yesterday yeah. I'm like, how do you remember it you couldn't even talk then like I don't know it's it yep. after me but yeah you can't yep. you're right you can't control how they see their reality as well and how they're going to bring that up so yeah <laughs> that'll uh it'll catch you off guard so so yeah that's kind of um that's the liam story what did any did people have any other questions fran they were all sort of like speaking to the they were all kind of worded in the same way a lot of people were asking how you managed um the, the biggest questions i got in de- different variations were how you managed with telling Liam how that story kind of played out which we've probably covered and then um mostly about how you managed um before and after um well with Margot with how you managed after Margot in the moment and then how you managed your pregnancy and your life as a pregnant woman basically Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. anything that stood out that maybe we haven't fully covered was like in literal terms like what you did um like did you go to counseling couple not couple therapy mm. uh support groups that kind of thing um i yep. think that was another question i know you uh, mentioned earlier that yeah. you went to um a pale support group was that like, actually was- um it wasn't pale it was um which is a great group and like i've heard amazing things and they're actually my understanding is they've done a bit of a rejig to their approach which i think is um Oh, like yes. they did they did it based on some feedback but they've kind of they used to just sort of have like one big group so you'd have people in there who are dealing with you know miscarriage and people who have had late term loss people who've lost infants like this is pretty broad go ahead yeah um, yeah do you think? I found, um, oh i've tucked this in too far sorry um i i i went to one of those groups and i i don't want to say i didn't like it to do their service to say anything negative and do their service a disservice but for me I found it difficult because there was everything ranging from your experience to losing an infant within the first year to me which is obviously a very different scenario and then a woman who'd had like essentially an IVF um, appointment found out she was pregnant and then she was not pregnant after the fact um yeah it was very it was like the whole spectrum And everyone was equally as upset in their own right, and so they should be. But I think it made for difficulties, either like it being slightly competitive, or I took away from that, like I felt badly for the people who were really in that situation 
and I went much later because I it took me a long time to like, seek support but a lot of people were like really in it happened like last week and yeah there was just I felt badly for everybody versus actually feeling like I got something out of it it was comforting and cathartic but I went away worrying about everyone else and then I don't know, um, I don't know if it did anything yeah. to me, let's say well, it's interesting because I think like your experience was shared by some people because I know that they, um, they've they made some changes to their approach at Pale where mm -hmm. they are doing kind of more segmented group meetings now so that, you know, I think that there is a magic to group support about um, having a pretty good commonality of experience so mm -hmm. that... Um, you know, you get together for such a brief time in a group support that like if the experiences are too varied, this is just my Simone's opinion. Like I'm not a professional in this area, of course. I just think it could be hard for it to really like click and be useful really fast with so much variation, even though there's similarities. But I guess I should say that too, because the group that I went to was actually at Mount Sinai. They have as part of their um, like maternal mental health department mm -hmm. they have a late loss support group so it's specifically for women who have had late-term loss so after 22 weeks mm -hmm. um and like i know in talking with the social worker she said to me they used to do it a bit differently and what they found is that there is a real um kind of sweet spot for women who've had to deliver the baby whether that's by you know c-section or vaginal whatever like that that experience of of changes you know, the dynamic of it yeah that that it creates an experience from a mental health perspective i guess you could say that is is just a thing mm -hmm. so the group that i went to was just um it was for couples i would say it was m mostly women though not exclusively like there were probably three or four men at any given meeting uh, who were there with their partners. I would say a lot of times the men often came the first time the woman was there or the birthing partner, I should say, was there. Um, and then kind of it would taper off occasionally. But um, that, that group is... Prenatal, like without that being... Like, you know how sometimes you go to a prenatal class with your husband and he comes to like three or five classes, like I found. <laughs> yeah. I made my husband come to all of them, but like I 100% oh, that that's probably not the model. Patterns, I suppose. Yeah, no, it is like that. And I think it's also like, um, so in that group, to your point around timing, it wasn't always right after, but I found it was often right after um, that people came. And um, that group was amazing. Like I, I just found that like, having people who understood quite acutely what I was going through was very important for my recovery. And like the two, the psychiatrist and the social worker who run it were amazing. It's just like group support. So it's about sharing your stories and having people listen and feeling seen and feeling heard, I think. But like I, I took a lot away from it and I met some very good friends there too um uh which was an amazing support network not only then but like the you know there's kind of three girls that I've stayed particularly close with and they have all gone on to have um subsequent children after they lost a baby and mm -hmm. so having people I could talk to like there was one girl yeah well, who, yeah, well there's and one girl had had her baby bef like before I did like her baby came in December of 2018 her her 
uh, second daughter mm-hmm. and like being able, like, I remember I reached out to her about a week before I gave birth and was like, I'm having a bit of a panic attack. Um, like, I'm just not sure what I'm going to feel. And she, she just kind of talked me through like, here's what my experience was like. Yours might not be the same, but this is sort of what it was like for me. And like, I'm here if you want to call me or message me, whatever you need, like don't hesitate. And I yeah. think that having people in your life who can relate to you on a very specific level is just helpful. Yeah. And for me, I haven't met that many people who've had the exact same scenario, but like even yourself, for example, I think there is a joint connection knowing that you've felt the same pain mm-hmm. and that there's some crossover, like leaving the hospital without a baby is a crossover. Like yep. even if how it played out before and after isn't exactly the same, like there are some commonalities that we all feel or just more of a general, the pain of losing a child period. Totally agree with you. Or a, a baby more to the point actually. Um, I think is just something where I've never met anyone where um, they haven't understood or even if they don't grieve in the exact same way that they haven't like come to the same sort of, this is how I feel, but I can see your point of view too or whatever. Um, I've never met anyone who hasn't been wholly supportive of the other person, if that makes sense. A hundred percent makes sense. Cause I think like, I think that there's a lot of magic to like a shared um, experience. Um, And like I said, for me, and I think it's different for everyone, but for me really feeling like I could connect with some people so that I could verbalize what I was feeling. Like I have to admit the very first time I went to group, I really didn't think I was going to say much. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was like towards the end and she asked me if I wanted to say anything. And like the stuff that poured out of me when I opened my mouth, like, I didn't even really realize I had so much that I wanted to get off of my chest. And like, like it was the grossest, like sobbing mess type of situation, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And like, I felt lighter leaving, um, just being able to like the social worker, her name's Melissa friggin' angel. She often would share this poem by Rumi called the, um, the guest house, I think it's called. Okay. Um, Anyway, it basically talks about how, like, you know, each of us is in this body just as a guest and these feelings and these emotions we feel, they will come and they will bang against the doors and the windows and we can choose to let them in and feel them and then let them pass on. Um, And if, you know, if you kind of don't, the poem, much more eloquently than I am, sort of explains that, like, you know, they can, they can break the house and rip the foundation and, and. I always felt like there was a lot of magic to that group and just being able to have those conversations and let yourself feel feelings that sometimes I don't even know that I was fully aware I had. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely resonate with that. Or sometimes you do a good job of holding them in or you have to by circumstance or you don't have those people to talk to. No. Um, And I think there's a really, there's, it's really important that if you, well, no, it's not really important, but it's really great if you can find that space, whether it's a support group or online network or... Yeah, and I think for some people... Like best who, li- ...who listen to you and you can totally. be like, hey, I'm just going to like run on a bit here because I need to let it out today or whatever. And I think like sometimes uh, there was some magic to also being able to have a space where like, you know, like I can recall there were sometimes stories about like 
you know, a baby shower and someone was maybe not having the kindest feelings about that baby shower and for them to just have a space where they could say what they knew were maybe unkind things and they didn't really mean them, but like you just need to acknowledge those feelings without anyone who's ever going to like bring that back to haunt you or hold that against you. Like they're Mm -hmm. effectively strangers that you meet in group, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially at the point you meet them. I think speaking to that though, I find um, like there's almost like an unspoken unkindness that um, it not the unkindness of things you think when you're losing a baby and someone else is having a baby shower, but that that those thoughts that we often have are unkind or jealous. But I don't really think it comes from that place. I really think it comes from a point of your own grief that. Yeah. Because if you had anything else like traumatic happen to you, let's just say you had a car crash, no one would ever expect you to go and get in someone else's brand new car and drive at speed on highway. No. For example. And that's yeah. basically what you're being asked to do is... Oh, bless you. Oh, um, is that what you're being asked to do, is do something that triggers your emotions so intensely what in somebody else be so happy in it? And that's yeah. really unrealistic to ever expect something to do. But I think as women, we're expected to be like, no, go be nice and be happy and be joyous. And my advice to everyone is like, just don't go if you if it's not good for you. That yeah, totally. person will always understand. And really, it's about them and them having a good day. And totally. if they're your best friend, they're going to have a lovely time regardless. But you just might be there feeling horrendous in yourself or feeling judged from other people that don't understand where you're coming from and or even like having to feel questions from strangers that don't know about your story and like are gonna inadvertently say something insensitive like oh you're not having a second baby well I did have a second baby but didn't pan like you know it just I think sometimes you have to be able like you're saying to know like when do I need to just protect myself and find a different way to support this person that I care about like I'll send a beautiful gift like like even my friend Emily I don't think with them on their own or something where there's lookers or I don't know like when Emily had her little girl um like I didn't go see her till she was probably three months old because I just wasn't I wasn't ready but like I sent her a lovely gift I messaged her I checked in on her I sent food and like dropped stuff up on her doorstep I just like wasn't ready to meet the baby yet and like when I did it was fine but I had to like be in a space where I was emotionally prepared to do that and like she was lovely and understanding about all of that it's also what um triggers you because I didn't have a trigger from babies I hated seeing pregnant people because my pregnancy stopped in time, um, it didn't proceed to yeah. the end. I felt like I was robbed of that. Like the, the baby meeting Phoenix was almost like, I don't want to say a bonus, but I, when I knew that things weren't working out, I kind of thought about everything as losing my pregnancy and what I'd seen my... I can understand that. It was, it's, like, it was right? weird because it, was it, wasn't, it wasn't all babies. It was baby girls born in 2018 which unfortunately I had like not unfortunately fortunately there were several in my very close group of friends yeah that was just like that was that was tough for me but you're right like it's weird what you end up having as your triggers and like now it's fine like I love all those little girls it just took me a little bit of time to be in a place where I was ready to yeah of course and I'm really dive in a baby shower now way more easily than the week after you lost Margot but 
Um, yes. I think yes. you can assume what your triggers are too. No, totally. I found and, that you know, like, annoying where someone would be like, I don't want to bring my baby over and upset you. And I was like, yeah. your baby will not upset me, but don't bring a pregnant friend with you, please. <laughs> yeah. And I think like the key for me is asking. Like, I think, um, you know, like you're saying, like ask, like I, I want to bring the baby over, but if that's not cool, just tell me. Like, I won't take offense. I totally understand that. I think like mm-hmm. asking and being open to hearing what people's honest responses to that is the kindest sort of thing you can do for people who are struggling with anything, I believe. Cause I do think that what, what worked for me, obviously different for you. It's going to be different if we had a third person in this conversation, even if the circumstances were similar, like no one's ever going to have the same things that trigger them or comfort them. So I think like if, if you can be brave enough to ask the person um, Mm. and be willing to hear, I don't know, be willing to hear, um, no, that's not going to work for me. Like, and know that it's not about you in any way. And that like even if the person rejects your offer they're still really grateful for it if that makes sense yeah and even if you don't hear back like it's not again it's not about you like you did the right thing by giving them an inroad to think about it totally and even like like we got a lot of emails um from people that I didn't respond to but like I still so appreciated them and and like they were so kind and they're things that like still I draw comfort from today even though I didn't necessarily write back and say that to the people um in the moment right yeah I I just think whenever you're thinking of someone and showing compassion even if it's received in like not the most perfect way it shows that you're a human being and that you're compassionate towards their situation and that you're trying on it and that's oh goodness me oh my love that you're trying is really the most thoughtful thing um whether you get it right or wrong Um, Yeah. And I think like, I'm with you. I think like always err on the side of like, it's better to do something and maybe not get it a hundred percent right than to do nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, the loneliness in any situation, this specifically is, is what's hard for people, I think. Yeah. And I think that's where for me, like group, um, the support group was really helpful because it really did make me feel like less lonely. Mm-hmm. in those early days in particular like I can still remember when like the Melissa the social worker when she called me like to check kind of check in and then talk to me about group like the first question she asks me is like did you want to tell me about your baby and like she was the first person who had asked like I think that's the most did she look like? last question um yeah. ever in these scenarios because and often they come from like the most unexpected people I remember one of Tim's co-workers who we had not really a relationship with at the time, his girlfriend said, oh, do you want to show me a picture of him? And I was like, oh my God, someone wants to see a picture. Because in my head, I was just walking around being like, hopefully someone will ask me about my son. And like, of course, like no one knew me here. That wasn't going to happen. But I was kind of hoping for it. And it just brought me so much joy. And even if I hadn't wanted that, the fact that she cared enough or thought enough to think that it just it's a bit like we were saying earlier in the conversation when someone remembers them um it It means a a little bit of joy and I think um and I think like you should know this it's a shame it doesn't get asked more I guess I totally agree but like in the category of like ways that you are having an impact like we 
we talked about some permutation of this when we chatted before and like as a result like a lot of my friends obviously listened to the other episode and um like several of them reached out and were like you know if you ever want to show me her picture if you want to talk about her like of course I'm here for that I just didn't know if it was okay to ask that question Mm -hmm. um so like it's just amazing how this outlet this podcast that you've created like it is making it so that people are more you know aware and just have a sense of how these experiences are for people um and I don't know that it's anything I like would have ever been able to verbalize to a friend to say like oh it would have really been nice do you want to see her picture I think I would have even felt awkward about that yeah people offer and like I've never done it the only people who've ever seen her picture are like Michael me my mom and my sister that's it wow um that's just where I'm at with it right now Uh, but like I've had several friends offer and like the fact that they offer just it makes me feel so loved and so appreciated like seen I guess um and I just think you should know that what you are doing here is having that kind of impact and I'm sure I'm not alone like I'm sure they aren't the only people who've reached out to someone they care about who's been through something hard and had a different you know conversation because of it well, I think with the whole like motherhood story, well, thank you for saying that. First of all, that means a lot because I think it's a byproduct of um, my goal, which is just to share people's stories and have their voice be heard versus like just talking about the baby all the time. Um, uh-huh. But I think um, what was I saying? I just lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, that's it. I was thinking that um, for the whole motherhood spectrum, like you can you want to resonate with somebody and not feel alone in your journey and I feel like being able to share hopefully over a period of time like a differing cross section of stories because I know that I listen to everyone and I'm like oh yeah that reminds me of this and you never have the exact same scenario that plays out from start to finish but there's snippets of it that you take and like it makes you learn something about your own story or it just makes you feel valid in how you felt in something else or even I had somebody message me today on Instagram saying, oh, like I felt better about something because um, uh, you was talking about like your messy house. And I was like, we all have messy houses. Yeah. I... Sometimes when you see the pictures of perfection, not just on Instagram or not just anywhere, but like you go to someone's house and they've cleaned it or, you know, mm-hmm. we do forget that there's reality behind everything. And I think it speaks to this as well because... Well, and also like not knowing yeah and and like like I wrote the other day an ode to my messy house because I was like all I ever wanted was to have a house full of family and life and livelihood and so please stop complaining when that's what you have Simone like I literally wrote a little poem to my house to be like I'm so it makes me happy to see the toys scattered on the floor because I know that they're from my children playing. It makes me glad to see the dirty diaper that needs to be thrown in the garbage bin because yeah, it's I the gift of this beautiful channel that I have. We forget to take those moments when we've got there. But also I think um, that now I've got to a place where I'm like, I'd rather not have something else and have a cleaner and then ignore it in between rather than trying to be a martyr all the time and trying to, have it be perfect yeah or like be angry at my husband or whatever because like he didn't 
uh, read my mind that I wanted him to do the dishes while I was upstairs putting the baby away and he decided to play with the with our older son instead right like just sometimes I catch myself I'm like have some perspective Simone on what's happening right now or have their their attitude when my husband's like they're gonna get them out in a minute again and they'll be a mess and I'm like that's what my husband said he's like let's just clean it up at the end of the day like I don't know why we do it at nap time I'm like um and I think like one other thing that you just reminded me of is just about um gratitude so um I don't know if you've read the book uh it's called the happiness project it's by Neil Pesricha I'm probably not pronouncing his name correctly forgive me on that one I've seen it as in like I can really picture the cover but I don't know if I read it I don't think so so it's um it's a great read. Um, he talks about like basically he sort of unexpectedly, not totally unexpectedly, but like came home sort of one day from work to his wife saying like not that she wanted to separate, and like also lost his best one of his very good friends to suicide. Um, and what he started doing basically to feed his soul was like he literally every day he started. It's called like the Book of Awesome. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh, yeah. And so, like, every day he talked about, like, one awesome thing. Like, isn't it awesome when you come home and, like, your your cleaner's been there? That's an awesome thing to happen in the day. Right now. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he did a bunch of research later for his second book called The Happiness Project. And one of the things that, like, research validated was that gratitude is one of the keys to happiness. And for me, that was a big thing um, that I did through my whole pregnancy just to manage, like, and I still do like when I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, I often just close my eyes and start to make a list of things that I'm grateful for, for that day. Cause I just find it helps like recenter my mind and remind me of all the things that I have, um, not to lose sight of in terms of that, that gratitude. And, uh, I don't know. i also try to make my husband do it, but he often rolls his eyes. Um, and says like, I'll be like, what are three things you're grateful for today? He's like one, not having to do a grateful list. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's an answer. Um, I just like the way though that sometimes um, men are more basic about it. Like my husband doesn't would roll his eyes if I asked him to too, but he also I think naturally does it without realizing. Well, and I think for my husband, it's his natural like preset is just yeah. like. I'm going to focus on more what I have than I don't. Whereas like, I think my natural preset can um, tend towards. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I think, I think an anxious mind will do that to you, but um, I could probably talk all day about an anxious mind as well. <laughs> yeah, we could probably do a whole other chapter just on. Oh, there'll uh, definitely be another chapter at some point, I'm sure on something we decide to talk about, but um, I'm sure there will be. it's always a pleasure talking to you and I'm very excited to meet you um, next week. I know she is so beautiful as oh, a sidebar like she's just like a little bubble head at the moment I keep seeing her head on here and she's like whoa hi it's yeah. <laughs> like the cutest um, thing I've ever seen she is very um she's she's the baby I needed in my scenario like chill calm doesn't even when she wakes up she doesn't even cry and oh I don't know obviously she has a moment she's still a newborn oh, and she's still, um woo. Oh, bless you. No, no, like, I also believe different kids have different temperaments. Like, for sure. Grace is very different than Liam. Very different than Liam. Yeah. Oh, we're, we've gone, like, from... Um, Bodie's very similar to her, what I know her to be like at this point. But I'm sure she'll have some other quirk and 
club keeps us all on our toes, but in the best way. Um, but and yeah, they're just they're very different. But um, she was what I needed to survive. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> if that. I had two cubs. I I don't know. It wouldn't have been good. It would have been a whole other thing. Good, um, yeah, I don't know. But you would have you would have managed that too, of course. But like yeah. perhaps I'm with very a- very grateful going back to your gratitude <laughs> that she is easy. Yeah. So so far, fingers crossed. <laughs> I think they show their true colors pretty quick. That's just my like okay, untested so opinion. Right. Well, you're right. Yeah, cub came crashing into the world and has been crashing around ever since. So. Yeah, that's how. That's kind of uh, the Liam. <laughs> like I love him to pieces. He's just such a big personality, and like his teacher. Um, I remember at his parent-teacher interview, she's like, like, we talked about all the sort of important learning stuff. And she's like, okay, can we also just take a second to talk about that smile? Like, it's so contagious. I can't handle it. Like, she's just loves them to bits. And it's so sweet when other people love your kids like that. Yeah, each temperament, I think that makes me realize each temperament has its plus points that you, like, love them for, even if... Totally. Like with Liam, because he's so outgoing, like, things like daycare transition, school transition wasn't so bad because like he loves socializing um whereas I can tell like Grace has is a little shyer and we'll we'll see how she does in those situations like she's very social but like if I'm not around like she gets uneasy pretty fast like she likes socializing with mommy yeah whereas like I feel like I could have left Liam with another family and he'd been like bye (laughs) but like all the same about cub actually that might be lovely to have a girl who wants to socialize with mummy when she's older so who knows please love that'll, that be be another, that'll be another tale to tell well thank you for giving so much time to me today and it's honestly my pleasure all, all of your well thought out um kind words and yeah it's been a real pleasure Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It means a lot to me and all the guests involved because bearing your soul and opening your heart to tell your birth story is sometimes a really difficult thing. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe and also enter this week's giveaway to a chance to win something fab just for yourself. Thanks for listening and allowing the guests of the podcast to have their voice and their story heard. Forever grateful, Franny.